Good evening and welcome to the second in a series of five honest conversations about race and how we can all move forward together. I'm Jeannie Johnson. I'm the founder of Ridgewood Walks and Ridgewood Talks. Ridgewood Walks provides free guided themed walking tours of Ridgewood and the podcast Ridgewood Talks is where we interview the leaders and legends of our village and where we dig into the town's hot topics. We also provide community forums to discuss current events that affect the health and well-being of our community. And the purpose of these initiatives is to create a more vibrant and connected community. So here we are tonight. We're going to continue the discussion about where we are in this moment in history and what we can do to open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to see race more clearly. Um, I read a lot this week and one of the pieces hit me right between the eyes. It was in the Washington Post. A guy named Trey Johnson penned the article and it's titled, when black people are in pain, white people join book clubs. Mm. He said a lot of other hard truths in that piece too, and it hurt a lot, but it woke me up a little more too. I've been protesting and holding candle, uh, candles at vigils and calling out indiscretions all my life, and it's not even close to being enough. I mean, I've barely even rolled up my sleeves, if the truth is told. Um, there was an accompanied, uh, accompanying blog uh, that went along with that too by Jenna Schwartz, and she helped me realize what really needs to happen if we genuinely want lasting and meaningful change in our society. She says we must reflect, dismantle, and invest. And these may be the foundations for true repair. So friends, we've got a lot of work to do, but first we must listen, learn, and maybe most importantly, unlearn. So without further ado, let me introduce our first guest. He's a guy I met a few years ago in a small group at Westside Presbyterian Church. He's the lead pastor there and truly one of the kindest people I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. Uh, Mark Oler is his name and he and Mac are going to take us down a deeply enlightening path tonight. So get your notebooks out, get some pens out and be ready to write down their words of wisdom. Um, I also want to give a huge shout out to Pastor Sarah Lindsay from the Unitarian Society here in Ridgewood. Sarah has been a dream. She is once again our tech expert for the night. Uh, she and I are going to be watching the chat room, so please feel free to post your questions and your comments there. You can find the chat room right there on the bottom of your screen in the green box. Um, all, you're all going to be muted um, until we you if there's some reason to. Um, and I also want to mention that a few people are interested in moving forward with discussing the book White Fragility. It's currently out of print, so please, if you want to join the group, send an email to ridgewoodtalks at gmail.com and we'll get you on that list. So that's it for now, and I'm going to throw it over to Mac, and he is the real leader of this discussion. So Mac, you're on. Hey, hi everyone, how are you doing? My name is Reverend Mac Brandon. I'm the pastor of Metropolitan Amy Zion Church in Ridgewood, New Jersey, uh, <clears throat> where I have been uh, a part of that community since 1984. Uh, I was also, uh, and this is following up on what Jeannie, who is wonderful, by the way, Jeannie Johnson, I just appreciate you uh, for, for bringing, for having the vision and bringing the idea of this talk uh, to the table. Um, in, in, in my other life, uh, I played music. And in 1992, I got a call um, from the Kennedys um, requesting that I fly down to Palm Beach and play for Teddy Kennedy's 60th birthday party in his house in the Kennedy compound in Palm Beach. 
and I would be the lead entertainer. So I flew down there. And of course, you know, I, I like everyone else, um, you know, the Kennedy lore was ever present. And uh, I got there early in the morning. I wasn't supposed to perform until late at night. I got there early in the morning and it was only the Kennedy housekeeper, the housekeeper who had brought, who had been the housekeeper for John and all of the, all of the clan. And so she was just the most wonderful person. And she was hospitable and she said, listen, you know, the run of the house is yours. For some reason, security, everyone was gone. It was just us. I mean, Patrick came through, but it was, it, it was just her and I. And I was sitting in the living room. And of course, this is 1992, so we didn't have smartphones. And, you know, and I'm leafing through um, uh, John and Jackie's wedding album, <laughs> you know. And I'm saying, I wish someone could see this stuff. And when, when the, and of course, that party was later on that uh, evening, and it was a wonderful, wonderful uh, moment. It was an intimate affair. It was just his family and very close, uh, close friends. And I came back, and those memories stayed with me. One of the things that was interesting was that every time I heard biographers or heard commentators talk about the Kennedys or the Kennedy compound, I had a particular perspective because you see the housekeeper spent a lot of time talking to me because she had nothing to do. Everybody was gone but me. And I was just walking around the compound. And I went down to the beach and then come back. And we just talked. And we talked about all of the clan, a clan, the kids, the family, as they were growing up. And every time they spoke, I said, you know, I, they, they never got her perspective, which would be a golden perspective. It confirmed to me that many times when there is any issue that we see, any com uh, commentary that we see, that it's important to hear all of the voices. We are, as a country, looking at an embedded issue, an embedded issue. And many times we have a perspective, but what is so important is for us to, to allow ourselves to be uncomfortable enough to say, well, could my perspective be stretched is there another perspective? Is there a housekeeper's perspective, as it were? And, and so it's in that um, um, of, of league of uh, idea. It's in that. It's in that. That uh, uh, in that wonderment with what how different people feel, how people are looking at this issue um, that we are doing this today, and that I present. Uh, Reverend Mark Oler. We're just going to let him talk in, in the, to paraphrase the 1980s phrase, we're going to let Oler be Oler and, uh, and uh, see what his perspective is. Uh, finally, before uh, I turn it over, you know, I've had so many people who've written me emails and what have you. And our uh, hope is not to answer every question. Uh, as another friend said, you can all go on NPR and you can all get white fragility and all get the new uh, Jim Crow and all get these. And this is what you should do. You should be compelled to learn. But what we want to do is make you think. And so you'll find your way if we can make you think and ask questions. So it's in that spirit that we uh, uh, now turn it over to a wonderful man as uh, as. Uh, Jeannie Johnson did say, she, he's a wonderful man. I've, 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 I've watched him from afar. And I saw that he was a man, not only of the cerebral, but of the heart. And that is what we need in times like this. So without any further ado, hey, Mark. Hey, Mac. 
thank you so much. Um, I, I feel uh, completely inadequate and completely passionate about uh, this opportunity. I am trusting your discernment, Mac and Jeannie, uh, and I appreciate who both of you are and the forums that you are creating together. Uh, I am grateful that uh, Mac, you didn't put me in the 10 p.m. spot because I don't know how you do the 10 p.m. Facebook Live thing. I, I you know, I, I prefer the 5 a.m. calls. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's so good to be uh, with you. I really appreciate this opportunity. Uh, I've struggled with what uh, I feel called to say tonight, in part because I think people like me need to do more listening than speaking, and uh, more learning than teaching. I think. Uh, but my prayer is that whatever I offer can help us all uh, with living with these questions that are uncomfortable but are, are important. And I think my understanding is God's putting them right in front of us all uh, to, 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 to journey with. So I want to speak particularly to my white brothers and sisters, um, particularly around some of what I think has been the failure of the church and our culture. Um, which has been largely shaped by people like myself, white Western European uh, males. And uh, I think it, this is a large reason why systemic racism has not been addressed in the way that it has needed to. Uh, so my goal tonight is to kind of give you a window into how, me, how I am thinking about and responding to this, this, uh, this challenge that we, that we face, this opportunity. Uh, I'll do a little bit of sharing around my background, but I wanna look at it through the context of race. I'm going to share what I'm learning, unlearning, and integrating on a deeper level, because I do think all three of those are important. And, and I'll share a little bit about how I and we at Westside, in particular, are trying to respond uh, to this, this moment. Um, you had asked me, Mac, how George Floyd hit me. And uh, it really hit me hard, as, I, I, as it hit so many of us, um, to be uh, saddened at the way that we uh, we treat the other. And it was just right there in front of, of, of me to see and, and to take a child of God, a person created in the image of God, and drive a knee into him as he's pleading for his life, pleading for his mother. I, I just, it really, it slayed me. And, and it made me angry. Um, I was angry as I looked into the face of Derek Chauvin and I saw this callous, cold, calculating, uh, soul that was there was vacancy there and that look and and to to do all of that in the the broad daylight with somebody videotaping uh i think uh for for maybe the most powerful time in my life i saw that what was happening there goes back generations generation upon generation of hate and prejudice and uh and in so many ways this was i think uh, a transformational moment for so many of us because like Rosa Parks or the, uh, the Little Rock Nine or Matthew Shepard or uh, you know that, that, that girl running down the, the dirt road after napalms come down on her, on her village and we see that terror in her face. Um, there's something about images and stories that break through in ways that words can never. Um, I think images are transformational on a deep level. It accesses something in us, um, and it accesses something in us collectively that uh, the greatest, you know, teaching or preaching just, I don't think, has that same power. Uh, in many ways, um, I've been thinking a lot about where we are as a culture, and, and, and this phrase has been helpful for me. 
we're experiencing what I call a negative experience of contrast. And we are seeing right in front of our eyes the, the very people that we don't want to be, the very society we don't want to be. Um, and, and, and I think sometimes we need that. We need to see sin. We need to see evil in order for the good that is dormant in so many of us to come forth and to, and to find action and practice. Uh, so, so that negative experience of contrast. The other image that hits me with the, with what happened um, on the, on that on that video is that this, in some ways, the family secrets out, and and more of us are seeing it. And and anybody who you know understands family systems, it's it's it has to happen if things are going to change. It's necessary for transformation, but it's really painful. It's painful to see it, and, and, and there's that impulse in all of us. We want to go back to the way it was, but you can't. Once the secret's out, you can't. And, and so I see this as a, as a rich opportunity, um, and we have to stand against the forces that want to find that, that false equilibrium, and we've got to find a way to move forward in a way that honors what we've, what we've seen. Um, so let me share with you a little bit of the homework that I, I'm feeling called to do and Soren Kierkegaard says, you know, life is understood looking back and it's lived looking forward. So I want to look back a little bit, give you a sense of kind of, of where, you know, where I've come from and, and some of the, you know, the handicaps, the limitations of, of my upbringing and my education. Uh, you know, there's so much that I didn't learn. Some, I was reading somewhere, you know, that education is, is realizing uh, or, or coming to know what you didn't even know you didn't even know. You know, and there's so much I didn't even know that I didn't even know. Uh, I grew up in, in Essex County in West Caldwell, a predominantly white community, son of Swiss immigrants, child uh, raised in a pretty traditional patriarchal family, uh, raised in a Christian home, uh, but in many ways, consciously, unconsciously taught to be suspicious of black people. Um, I had, in high school, I had one black teacher, I had two black uh, peers. And in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a class of 200 kids, uh, I went to schools that were predominantly white, uh, was drawn uh, to study and work in areas intended to address the social challenges of our time, which was the irony is that, yes, I went to these white schools, but I was drawn to social work and ministry. And, 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 and so I studied psychology, went to seminary, got a degree in social work, worked in North Philly for two years as the only one of three white people on staff with, with an, you know, a community that was entirely uh, you know, black African-American, worked in Elizabeth for two years in the port uh, where I was really you know, the only white person there. And so in many ways, I should have been doing better. I should have known better. I had experiences uh, to step out of the bubble that I had been raised in and studied in. Uh, so even though you know, I was a psychotherapist, a pastor, I was learning about family systems and structures and systemic problems like racism and sexism. I was you know, taught not to just look at the individual. So I had the tools, the opportunities uh, to be able to see things and, and to respond more fully. Over the years, I've had some, some you know, good relationships with with black friends, but as I look back, it's typically for a season, and it hasn't been that 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 friendship, uh, you know, across different uh, transitions in, in my life, and 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 I know that 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 I'm the reason for that, that I haven't uh, been as intentional uh, with with those friendships, and and so I'm working on that. I am reconnecting uh, with people who've always meant a lot to me, and taking that extra step uh, that that is important. Um, 
I have uh, served, um, and, and what I should also say my call story, which I won't get into, and some of the people in my congregation have heard it, involved a face-to-face experience with an African-American woman who opened my heart and soul to God in a way that almost no one had at that point. And I look back with just deep gratitude for that moment. Um, and yet, you know, so often um, I haven't done the work that I've, I've needed to do. Um, I've gone into parish ministry kicking and screaming. Um, God has a way of kind of bringing me back again and again. I've tried to step away a couple times. Uh, I've served two predominantly white congregations, 11 years in Chatham Township, uh, the last 10 here in Ridgewood at Westside. I've had, you know, encouraged both congregations to do mission work, but, you know, I think part, part of it is, and we've had relationships in, in Newark and Morristown and Atlantic City, Houston, New Orleans, uh, Haiti, Patterson, but the relationship has been more one way that, than, than I think it needs to be. Um, and part of what we're trying to do is, 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 to, is to try to look at mission as a partnership. We are the mission field. I am the mission field. There is so much uh, that, that I need to learn. Two educational experiences that shaped me over the last uh, 20 years since the ministry began. The first was uh, as part of a spiritual development center where I learned, I was trained to be a spiritual director. And that experience kind of brought some of the psychology and the ministry together and it really was focused on trying to attend uh, more fully to the movement of the spirit as, as, as I understand it, and to help other people pay attention to that movement of the spirit, and then to respond more wholeheartedly. Uh, and, and that has been a, a blessing uh, in my ministry, and in many ways, I think has helped me realize uh, what it is I believe pastors ought to have been doing all along. I mean, is there anything more important for me, for us to be doing as pastors and to help people pay attention to the reality of their experience and listen for that, 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 that stirring or that calling. Uh, so that was one formative experience. The second was uh, studying with Father R uh, Franciscan uh, Richard Rohr through the Living School for the Center of Action and Contemplation. And that was a deep dive into the Christian mystical uh, uh, tradition and explored that relationship between contemplation uh, and, and action. And, and one of the things that he would often point out to us as students, um, and he called this the, the living school an underground seminary, uh, because he saw the seminary as failing in, in a lot of these things that we're going to be talking about tonight, which is getting into the heart of, of social justice. And so he created an underground scenario. And he said the most important word in the name, the Center for Action and Contemplation is the word and, you know, to hold both of those uh, in, in creative tension, and I'll say a little bit more about that. But that experience in the living school helped me kind of articulate some things, some of which I'll share tonight, that has helped me understand how it is we failed, really, as, a, as an institution in, 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 the, in, in our theology and our practice in many ways, and how we can be better at uh, discerning and responding to the will of God and be more constructive with this incredible treasure that we have of, of the gospel message. So over one of my mantras uh, is, uh, you know, that we're, we're called to not criticize the bad, but practice the better. And, and so I, I've been working, you know, since I went to the ministry kicking and screaming, I said, you know what, God, if you want me to be a pastor, I'm going to try to create a, a church I would want to go to. And that's been what I've been focusing on over the last five years uh, as, as the pastor of Westside is trying to, 
to build a community that I wish I had experienced uh, when I was, was being raised. Um, one that is trying to, to do some good work. Um, and so uh, over the last five years, when, I, when I've embraced this call to be the, you know, the lead pastor at Westside, um, I've been moving out of my comfort zone and there's something about moving out of my comfort zone that has a way of kind of building on itself. You take one step or two steps, the third and fourth and fifth get, get easier. Uh, so the first step was to say yes to that call. The second step is in our tradition, we have three ways of understanding uh, what a pastor does. He, he's a, he's a, a priest in that he, he kind of, he's a symbol, he points to the divine and in, in, in everything he does and the, in, in the sacraments in particular. So there's the priest role, then there's the, um, the king role, which is kind of, we don't use that language, but it's like the mayor of the town. You know, you're just kind of checking in with people, you're trying to see, you know, what's the lay of the land and, and staying connected. And the third role is prophet. Um, and, and that's to, that, that calling to speak the truth with love, to say those things that are hard to say, but important uh, to say. And so I've been leaning for, particularly over the last five years, into that prophetic piece, which I think creates a, a more whole uh, pastor. Um, and then the, the, the final thing I've really been working on is leaning into, you know, I, I'm, I'm a contemplative by nature, but uh, contemplatives can kind of step back and wait and be, be you know, be can get passive too and so the sense of, of being drawn out um, into into action uh, to get on the streets to be part of conversations like this uh, is part of that leaning into this you know getting out there being more visible and uh, so those are some of my, my growing edges uh, prior to this experience of George Floyd and kind of uh, in the spirit of, of building a church that uh, I longed for as a, as a human being. We, uh, we went through the first couple of years here, we went through a long discernment process, which led us to a vision statement. And there are two words in that statement that when we, you know, the, the first one, when we came upon it and really adopted it as our vision, it hit us really clearly. This is a lifetime of work. And the first, that word is all. You know, uh, we invite, welcome all and we invite all on the journey with us. And so, uh, you know, that was the kind of opening. We've got to figure out a way to be uh, more hospitable and welcoming uh, to all people. Uh, the second value that we lifted up at that point was growth. You know, that if we're people of faith, we must be constantly growing. Uh, it's, you never arrive. You're, you're always, always on the journey. So uh, shortly after that, one of my frustrations with the church is the hymnody and the lectionary, which are the scriptures that are chosen, um, it's amazing how much we, they avoid justice. And it, it, it's, dri it's driven me nuts. And so for a year, we took Brian McLaren's book, We Make the Road by Walking, and he basically did the lectionary for the year and picks those passages that too often uh, we've avoided. So we, we spent a, a year doing that. Uh, amazingly, Westside did not drive me out of town during that year, because these were some tough texts. Um, we've been trying to be uh, more multiracial and cultural in our hires, and three of the last four hires have, have uh, demonstrated that um, and, and been leaning in that direction. Uh, but we don't yet have the diversity at the upper level of our, of our staff that, uh, that I think we need. We've spent um, a, a lot of time with our vision statement 
We've been creating space to have uh, hard conversations around the refugee crisis, around LGBTQ um, community. And, uh, and so we've, we've been having some, calling forth some groups to help us on that. We spent time this last advent on the Belhar Confession, which is the latest confession. If you haven't looked at it, it's a powerful statement that emerged out of apartheid in South Africa and a lot of the good work that was done around justice and reconciliation. So we spent advent really spending time with that. In January, we had a summit, uh, talk about timing, where we talked about the, you know, be, began the conversation, how can we become a more multiracial, multicultural uh, community? Um, I talked about the, the, the end of the white Western male dominated church, and, and it's obviously dying, you know, uh, and around the world, Christianity is thriving, but in, in, the, in Europe and America, we see evidence, uh, particularly in communities that, that are, are homogenous, uh, there is just a precipitous decline. And so we, we were looking at that, that issue as well. Um, we looked at our membership. Uh, at this point, we're 8% non-white. That's just not, that's not good enough. And so we've been making some strides and, and God has been showing up in, with an increasingly diverse uh, group of people, but we have to continue to take steps to integrate our community and I'll, I'll say more about that. But with the last class, we, we were at 25% uh, non-white and our, our next group of kind of prospects and guests are even more diverse. So God is showing up uh, in, in people that are, uh, are not like me and, 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 that's a, and that's a good thing. And so we, we're trying to get ready and, and, and do what we can uh, to respond with faithfulness to that. I know that I have to change, we have to change Jesus talks about uh, you can't put new wine into old wineskins, so we're trying to, you know, to prepare for the new wine. And uh, so since George Floyd, uh, we've, we've, we've been doing some, uh, some, in my Tuesday group that I have, we've been doing some anti-racist readings. We formed, uh, we're recruiting and forming a racial justice task force. Uh, one of our pastors, Liz Juneau, is being trained uh, to le help lead us through a, a, a five-step process as a community of faith, uh, as we become a multiracial uh, congregation. Uh, I've been trying to preach to this moment, from this moment, uh, around, uh, you know, uh, race, race, uh, systemic racism and, and the George Floyd incident. Trying to step into uncomfortable places like tonight, um, and, uh, but there's so much more uh, that I need to do that we need to do. And I hope whatever community you're a part of, uh, you know, that you can, you can draw some, you know, parallels and, and, and hopefully some of these things will, will spark some things in your own thinking. Uh, so let me, um, let me share a visual with, uh, which has helped me kind of locate myself and where I am. And so I'm gonna just, I wanna thank Sarah, she's our tech guru. And, uh, and I, I, Jeannie told me that she's gonna put this on the, uh, the Ridgewood Walks, Ridgewood Talks page. But if you see here, there's the fear zone, uh, you know, denial, avoiding hard questions, striving to be comfortable, uh, surrounding uh, ourselves with people who are, are like me. And too much of my life I've lived there. Uh, I think I'm in the learning zone right now. I recognize a problem in a way that I hadn't. Uh, I'm seeking out 
you know, questions that make me uncomfortable. I'm understanding my white privilege uh, much more than I did uh, three months ago, six months ago, you know, three years ago. Um, education, and I think the step, you know, that uh, I believe the spirit is calling me to, uh, but I'm by no means there, is, uh, you know, sitting with this discomfort, speaking out when I see racism, not letting mistakes and my own fear of, of failure getting in the way for me getting into the fray, into the mess. Um, so I found this to be a helpful um, image to kind of locate ourselves. And again, get back to that growth piece. We're all called, you know, in our own way uh, to grow as human beings, uh, to grow in our capacity uh, to love, uh, to love with wisdom and grace. So thank you, Sarah. Um, and we'll, again, we'll, we'll put that put that up. Um, so what I can offer is uh, what I'm learning as a human being and as a spiritual leader. And I'm going to let you overhear some of the things I've been preaching about to our congregation. Uh, and again, every time I preach to them, I'm preaching to myself. Uh, and, and, and so these are 10 things that I want to look at very briefly. Um, and, and, uh, and say a little bit about each one of them. And I'm just, I'll share them all at once and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll touch upon them. How am I doing on time, Mac? Good, I, I'm, I'm gonna have some questions for you soon, go ahead. All right, you, you wanna interrupt me when you need to, okay? okay. You, wanna, you wanna ask them now or? No, cause I think you're rolling, so continue. All right, okay. All right, so the 10 things, unlearning, don't talk about religion or politics, number one. Number two, unlearning, don't be political learning how to transcend either or thinking. Number four, learning how to transcend the limitations of the rational mind. Number five, unlearning the primacy of the individual self. Number six, integrating orthodoxy with orthopraxy. And I'll say more about that. Number seven, unlearning white Christian supremacy. Number eight, integrating individual and corporate sin. Number nine, integrating action and contemplation. And number 10, relearning the authority of experience. Uh, so, so let me take those uh, one at a time until our host interrupts me. I'm gonna interrupt you right now. Okay. One, of them, one of them was really, uh, a really uh, insightful to me. You see, when I, when I look at stuff that's going on and I see, um, I see contention and I see contention, white and black. And when I, uh, when I think of contention, I don't think of marches. I just think of everyday life. When I, see, when I think of divisiveness, I see black, uh, black folks, but I see white males. I see white males more than anything else. When I look at the marches, I see mostly white females if they're white. When I see some, when I see those carrying guns, as as one might expect in Michigan, or when I see those who are extremists, I see white males. And what is perplexing for me is going from the civil rights movement to now. I see white males who also profess Christianity. Yeah. Now. That is the part that is interesting to me. And so you have just laid out very wonderfully your credential as a good guy and a good leader. How do you, as a well-intentioned man of faith, whether you're a man of the cloth or whatever, you're a man of faith, how, how do you square your brothers who also say that they profess 
faith, and yet their collective needs are on our necks. Well, I mean, you articulated the thing that, you know, that frustrates me the most is that this tradition that is so beautiful, you know, of, 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 of our Christian tradition has been used um, to justify the knee on the neck of the very people for whom Christ would say, this is, this is me. You're doing it. And, and that's where my anger um, has been focused on in ministry. And quite honestly, that's what I struggled to even want to be associated with. You know, and and that's, so that's been a lot of my inner work because I haven't seen, and I haven't had great models of, of white Christianity that I can, that, that, that inspires me because I see too much of that. And I see too much of people, you know, there's, it, I mean, I think we have to be very careful when we, we call upon uh, you know, the will of God or we try to discern the will of God. That, that, that to me, is, 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 a, is, a, is the work of great humility and discernment. And we don't do that individually. We do that as a community. And when in the name of God, we do, you know, we, we commit racist acts and we participate in a system that does this, that's, that is contrary to, to everything that I think Jesus lived for and died for. Do you ever have interface with, because uh, <clears throat> you, you laid out that there is not, though your intention is to create a society at Westside that is reflective of the real world. Um, your upbringing to this point has been one which you have said is largely white, right? So, you would have more interface intimately with those who, for instance, when there is symbolism, which may appear to me to be hypocritical on a national level, in, in the name uh, invoking you know, the Bible or invoking God, and yet you know that their heart is not righteous, or you may have intimate interface with those who, in private company may say disparaging things that I would never get to hear. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? I mean, you're, you know, I can't go into rooms that you can go into in terms of having the private conversation. Yeah. So how do you, how do you work with that? Well, I, I think, you know, I gotta be quite honest. My biggest fear and one of the, re- I think my biggest fear is, uh, had been around, you know, being more visible, you know, with, with a theology that I believe is much more generous than what has posed as orthodoxy. And that, um, and so I, you know, I think part of my hesitation of leaning in this direction was, do I really want to take on that? You know, because, you know, I see what happened, you know, you see what happens to some other, you know, uh, theologians who are trying to challenge and pastors who are trying to challenge the kind of the white, you know, supremacist kind of, thing that mixed into Christianity and, and, and there's a lot of horrible things that, that happen. So I think what I have been emboldened to do is with the opportunity that I have with the people that I serve to try to be as clear about how, you know, the gospel message as I can be and, 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 and to turn most of that prophetic thing towards us 
it's it's like we have homework to do and you know ourselves and and whether we're we're you know subtle about it or not i mean that is that's been the fundamental failure um so now i don't do i get uh you know raging you know uh racists who come in here and and you know do things you know over uh, overtly like that no i don't mean i don't get this in this church it's subtle and part of you know what i'm i'm learning to do is it's not enough mark to just kind of talk about it generally i have to learn how to you know and that gets back to this like don't you know uh, don't talk about religion and politics you know part of the way that that's limited us and, and that's that's a white you know cultural thing you know don't talk about religion and policy talk about everything else well that's teaching us to have shallow conversations and it's not equipping us with the tools and the and the lived experience of having hard messy conversations talk which, talk about talk about partisan versus politics yeah no i mean well I mean, I, but I think just, but just to, 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 to finish that point that I'm, I'm a, I'm a diplomat, right? That's more, I'm a Swiss son of Swiss immigrants. You know, uh, I'm the, you know, the mayor thing comes more naturally to me than the prophet. That's not enough. Diplomacy is important, but so is, you know, learning, leaning in as I'm trying to do better and say, you know what? I see that really differently than you. And I'd be interested to hear how you came to that conclusion about so-and-so them or, or whatever. And, and then to say, you know, on the other hand, um, you know what, I just want you to know, I see it, I see it so different than that. And, and if you're interested in hearing how I've come to un interpret the gospel, you know, you can come to hear me preach or you can, we can have a conversation about that. Uh, so I think that's something that, that I haven't been taught very well and I need to learn. And I think it's a part of my call as a human being, but also as a pastor. The second thing is this, don't be political, which, you know, uh, you hear, I've heard that uh, less so recently, but I've heard that a lot, you know, in, in subtle and not so subtle ways. And I've tried to, you know, first of all, I think Jesus is so political. If you don't think Jesus going into Jerusalem on a donkey is political theater, then you're not reading, uh, you know, the context well enough. I think Jesus cares about the common good. I think he cares about the issues, uh, anything that would get in the way of, of brotherhood, sisterhood. Uh, I think everything he says is political. He, he cares about how we use our privilege, our wealth, our power. Um, so I don't think, you know, the, the thing, I think we're called not to be partisan, to recognize that we can figure out ways that are conservative and progressive to get to the issues of politics, which in the end, we must address as a church, as people, and as leaders. And so I, I, I'll say very clearly, um, I, I will be political, uh, but I will strive not to be partisan. And so, you know, I think our culture doesn't distinguish between these two things very well. Um, we, we confuse partisanship with politics. So I'm trying to assume some responsibility to educate this community that there's actually a difference. And it's important to understand the difference. And it's important to not be silenced by the don't be political, because that's muting our, our prophetic edge. And it's, it's basically, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's muting our prophetic edge, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so, so that's interesting, and I, I liked it. And I remember in your sermon you said that, and I thought it was intriguing. Um, and as you're speaking, I'm wondering, putting, you know, um, 
the rubber to the road um, <clears throat> as we're marching and as we're striving. Um, sometimes it can seem like the the, the um, it, it can seem like the odds are so stacked, you know. And I think I told the story of you know since '63, looking at all these demonstrations upon demonstration upon demonstration, and then something different happening two weeks ago, something different happening in the streets when people are saying Black Lives Matter, and of course I have a sense of a certain sense of hope. Um, but knowing that the the bounds of what I can do are you know are are personal, but they 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 there is an opportunity to reach hearts. Now, you as a white man, how did you see that opportunity? How do you reach hearts? How do you reach across the aisle? Because the problem is police brutality, but that's only the tip of the iceberg. How do we get underneath that? And of course, my attack is you know I'm going to attack it one way. Uh, as a person of color, and there's certain things I can do, but I will still be seen uh, because of skin color. I'll still be seen in, in a particular uh, in a particular way uh, because of the history, you know, with a sense of otherness. But you, um, we don't know. If you put a baseball cap on, Mark, you're a good old boy, right? You put a baseball cap on, and you can move around. You move around in 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 spaces like in West Caldwell or different spaces. And when you saw, when you see what's going on right now, because um, you know what's going to happen is there's going to be a waning of emotion, uh, of disgust, you know, with what happened to George Floyd. Yeah. But what we don't want to wane is the undercurrent that 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 gave fruit to that, because it will happen again. There were three people who, three black people, who were found hanging last week. Now we don't know why, right? There was a police shooting three days ago, right? So this stuff is going to continue to happen, whether you know. And so, and so, you as a white man, I, I'm just wondering, what what do you say? What can I do? What do you say to yourself? Well, I think I, I think our faith has to be stronger than our our, our current feeling. Uh -huh. There's just too much talk about feelings, like you know, like like it matters that that I as a white person feel something. You know, it's really who, it, it's the decisions that we make. It's the it's the it's the uh, it's the things that we do that in the end is what our faith is about, right? Yeah. You know, the feelings come and go, and our decisions ought not to be based on you know on that uh, ultimately. So, I, and I think in terms of like you know the partisan piece. That you know that you raised too often the partisan divide has created a stalemate and nothing gets done and that i mean obviously we see that on the large scale but even within churches like like, like the refugee thing when we brought that up i mean there was a knockdown drag down fight for two meetings you know wh where you had people saying why the heck are we helping them we should be helping these other people and and, and so part of my job as a leader um is to hold space and to say, you know, we need to have this conversation, and and we we we're you know we're I'm I'm not going to allow strong opinions and hurt feelings to derail the important work of we got a crisis here and we got some people who want to make a difference. So we're going to have this conversation, and and so that to me is using my power and my position to influence the community that I'm called to serve and to do well by, um, and so. You know, I think part of it is, you know, just, you know, 
giving, not giving partisanship, acknowledging its power to destroy things and destroy good intentions and will, you have to acknowledge it. But then at the same time, you got to say, and, and it's not going to, it's not going to happen here. Yeah. Because let's, we can disagree on how to help uh, the vulnerable and the marginalized, but we cannot disagree on, we can't disagree that Jesus calls us to do that and the church to give witness and to give expression to that. So, so you and I are both people of goodwill. Um, and um, one of the things that I recognize as a man is that I have to unpack layers and, and I'll call them layers of flesh, right? Uh, because sometimes the anger is one that <clears throat> is a feeling, right? Um, and I can, I can be um, logical and move in, in decision mode and say my faith compels me, but my, you know, my flesh will, you know, of course, that's the angst. So I have to unpack those layers. Um, when, I see, um, when I see subtle whistle calls, when I see stuff that is, that is so subtle, but it is so absolutely racist in, in my field, you know, it, in my antenna, are, are always up and ready to hear the subtle calls, right? And I have to unpack and have had to unpack. And I think that every person who is the, the other, if you will, and that can take many, many expressions, by the way. Um, I won't go further, but you know that we've been, I've been talking to many peoples, uh, not just you know those of African descent. I have to peel away the length of the layers of generalized anger, mm -hmm. right? I have to consciously tell myself that I'm going to speak to a person as an individual and give them the opportunity because what I see is generalized oppression. So that's my personal thing I have to do. I have to make sure, right? I pray up and I make sure that when I'm seeing someone each day that I am not going to fantasize, you know, putting their head through a window, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. Because of the stuff that's been hitting me, okay? Yep. All right, so, um, you know, maybe it's hyperbole, maybe it's not. But it's still a layer that I have to unpeel as a man. What layer do you have to unpeel as a man as you ambulate through society? Well, I, I wanted to say before that, um, and, and just to qualify the, you know, the feelings, I think, I think I and many like me have to hear the anger and the sadness and, and, and to fully, more fully understand and appreciate and honor that. Um, so I, when, I'm, when I was talking about feelings being, you know, like we got to get over our feelings, I'm talking about you know, people of privilege. Um, and, and so, you know, I think, I mean, gosh, you asked me, I wasn't expecting such a broad question. I mean, I have so much, so many layers. Go ahead. Um, Take you know, what's that? Go ahead. Have fun. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many things I have to unlearn. I don't even know where to start. You know, I mean, let's just take you know, let's take so many of the false narratives about life, winning and losing, you know, and, and having, you know, the, the, I mean, I don't want to make this about my, you know, my field, but like the, uh, you know, the, the ways in which I've been taught so many false things about what it means to be strong, you know, and, and um, what, it, you know, the, the ways that I was taught to be afraid of being vulnerable. And so, you know, when anger, sadness, when anything shows up for me, I actually have to spend personal time with that and get in touch with that in order for me 
to help people, um, you know, respond more wholeheartedly to what's really going on. Because I think part of the way we've organized ourselves is we've protected ourselves from discomfort and we've kind of bought into this illusion that if I just make my life comfortable enough and if I have enough convenience, then I won't have to deal with that, that big thing, that, that elephant in the room. And, and that doesn't work. Um, and so for, in my own life, I've just had to get in touch with, you know, the ways, my own, you know, the ways that I've been wounded, you know, as, as a man, as a, as a son, as a, as a partner. Um, and that's the entry point. I mean, that gets to the whole, if I can, if I can come to get in touch with my own wound, then I'm able to stay present and hold space for you or for anybody else who brings with me. And I won't find, you know, subtle ways of moving on to the next thing. Right. I don't know if that answers your question. That's good. That's good. And so as you look at the, at the race question, uh, what do you have to peel away? Oh, that it's, I mean, I, I think I've, I've been in denial about how, how just at the heart of everything it is in our country. And, 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 and I have to peel, I have to like grieve the fact that I was not, I, I did not learn how much this is holding us back and how much it has prevented me from having uh, genuine intimacy with somebody who has a different skin color. You and I, I mean, I, I look at you, Mac, and the moment you know, I met you, I'm like, this guy, I mean, I feel like I have in some ways more in common with you, and I don't mean to minimize the differences, and, and, but I, you know, I, like there's no reason why uh, I should have been more, you know, shouldn't, I mean, I think you would, it would be a blessing for me to, to know you better than I have, right? And, and so, and, and there's a loss. There's so much, especially if I think about some of the work that I've had to do, um, you know, and, and the people who've cut through it and been a gift to me, um, it's, it's the other, it's often the other. And it's not always, you know, a black person, it, it could be a gay person, it could be somebody from, you know, any, anybody who's different than the white male thing that, you know, is, is oppressive to me, you know, to me as a white male. You know, I've had to grieve the fact that, you know, yes, and again, I don't want to make it because I don't want to minimize what we're here to talk about. But I think part of it is realizing that there's that we, that that there's a poverty to the way we've organized our society that impacts all of us, mm. and it's you know and I you know it, it impacts you know, white men as well. But uh, you know, in that we can't we haven't been taught to fully love, you know, the way that I believe we're designed to, mm. and, and to see you know, uh, people for the, the, the divine image that they are and to recognize that our, our, my greatest teacher, teachers are people who just don't see life and haven't experienced life the way that I do. And, 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 and that's the part that I, that I grieve because, you know, it's, it's taken me a long time to, to see that and, and to, 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 to want to genuinely try, you know, to, to, to continue to take steps in that direction and realize that I need to be a student uh, and sit at the feet of other people who have a whole heck of a lot to teach me about what it means to love and what it means to be a, a, an instrument of, of God and to be a servant of others. And you've, you've really said some insightful and heartfelt, heartfelt things. Um, so as a, as a shepherd of a congregation that you want to teach them to be disciples and you want to teach them to go 
um, back to their homes where there may be the, you know, at least the residue of some of this societal dysfunction. Um, how do you tell them? There's, I'm seeing that there's a hundred people on here. Who knows how many on Facebook Live? But um, you know, how, how do you tell them to go and do the good work? What What do you tell them to do? How How do you you know? What is your counsel? Well, I th around race, I think that's part of what I want to. I, I want us to learn how to do that because I. I mean, honestly, I had in my own personal life at my at my at my family table, I'm not really good at it. You know, and, and I got to get better. So I think part of, you know, on the, the race, you know, on the, the issues that, you know, we're talking about tonight, I think we have to learn this together. Um, but in terms of, you know, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, other areas, um, I mean, to me, that's the work. Uh, you know, worship is, as I say, is, is not the main event. The main event is out there in the world. And we're here to train and to practice, uh, you know, living in the way of Jesus, and then to bring that forth into the world. I mean, it's, it's you, know, you know, on our bulletin, it says, you know, when the worship has ended, you know, the worship has ended, the service has begun, which I think is a Quaker statement. Um, that's, to me, that's it. I'm not interested in, in putting on a really big show. Right. Like, that's not what it's about. The part to serve. That's right. You know what? I think, because I think that questions have been coming in, like, uh, pretty fast yes. and furious. So let's give uh, Mark a chance to uh, feel some of those. Yes, they have been, Mark. So um, given where you just left off, and I, folks, um, I'm going to go out of order the way the questions were asked, but I promise we'll get to them all. But given what Mark just said, um, someone asked the question about what you think Jesus would do with a white supremacist. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, the only, I mean, I... Better you to be. Confront with, I mean, I think that, you know, he, the image I have is he would, he would hold his hand and, and say, you are just so wrong, you know, and, and, and so I think, the, I, I mean, my understanding of Jesus is the relationship is always, you know, he's, he's always open to, you know, that relationship. On the other hand, he speaks to speak the truth and, and confront, uh, confront him and say, you know, you're wrong. Okay. Um, there's another question here. Um, I lost it. Uh, the, the question is really about sort of the relationship between church and and how racists might sort of hide in their Christianity. Um, so hide? the way it's phrased. Sorry. So what would hide? I didn't, I didn't catch. Sorry. That. How a racist, how a, a sort of white supremacist might hide in their Christianity or in. Um, a Christian church. So the way it's put is, are churches being used as a cover for, mm. you know, so. Well, I remember you know. my, my, my mentor growing up, he, he went to school at, at Duke and he, he told me um, while he was, I think he was at seminary at the time, uh, there was a, a group of uh, people that said, well, you want to come out into the, uh, to the woods, we're having a worship service outdoors. And it was basically it was a KKK rally and they were singing all the same hymns. And it was like, it, so I think that's where I, I think the theology has been so uh, manipulated that to me, it's really important to return to healthy theology and proclaim, you know, unpack these texts, you know, 
um, I am the way, the truth, and the life, which is used to like bludgeon people to death. You know, to, you have to unpack this stuff. I mean, theologically, then I think in terms of, and that's like, but again, that's more macro, you know, personally, you know, I think there are opportunities that we all have where some of this slips out and we, and we have to address it. You know, we have to call it out um, with, you know, with, with strength, you know, we have to be assertive, uh, you know, when it shows itself or when we have, you know, evidence of it, I think then we got to address it. So I think it hide, to answer it, 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 they can hide in, in, in Christianity because we've perverted so much of the gospel message and we've made it uh, into this kind of win-lose scenario and, and we, we, we're the insiders, everybody else is going, you know, that, that, that we can address, but then on, on a personal level, you know, we have opportunities as well. Does that answer? Yeah, I, I actually, if it's okay, I'm going to jump in with a question of my own, actually, right now, because it dovetails with what you're talking about. Um, the note that I wrote down for myself as you were talking, um, my question is, what is the relationship in your mind, at least, between Christianity and sort of historic white saviorism, right? I'm thinking about, like, even missionizing, right? Like, Western European missionizing. What is the sort of the historical way that Christianity has been tied to a sense of, like, we white people are going to go save everybody and how does that play out now for you as a white male pastor of a christian congregation what is your relationship to this question of white saviorism and how do you sort of understand how to step back and you know all that well i mean the history the doctrine the discovery i mean it just goes back you know colonialism uh i mean it's just a horrible history um and i think you know so i just becoming more educated about that is important uh, educating the congregation about it. And, and, and I think it gets to the heart of, of Christology, which is we have, uh, what, what I've tried to you know, teach here is this idea of the universal Christ, that, um, you know, that, that Christ as we have, you know, as, as the biblical witness uh, speaks to, uh, is, is present at the beginning, is, you know, Alpha and the Omega, present in everything, in everyone, in all things, the great leveler. Like, we're all in this together. The divine is it within all of us. And so Jesus is just the manifestation of that. He gives us a window into the heart of who Christ is. And so by the focusing on Jesus and Jesus being the right one, the right way, the, you know, you got to, you know, Jesus is going to save you. You know, you, you, you're going to go to hell unless you call upon the name of Jesus. That is, that's ego. That's, you know, that's a perversion of, of, of the Jesus message. And I think we've got to get back to the Jesus who, is, who represents the Christ, who is present in all traditions, in, 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 in all people. And, and so rather than start with an, from an argumentative or I've got to fix you posture, which the white savior does, right? I'm going to come into town and I'm going to clean, you know, I'm going to, you know, write this ship or whatever. We, we enter into genuine dialogue with people from the posture that I see in Jesus, which is a posture of humility. You know, um, he who exalts himself shall be humbled. And, you know, so I don't, does that answer your question? So I think, I think we have missed the mark on our Christology. 
Yeah, I mean, it does. I mean, I think we could probably have a whole hour long conversation to like white supremacy. Um, but I want to make sure we get back to the other questions. So um, someone asked, and this may have been more rhetorical than anything, but I want to lift it up. Someone asked in the chat, Darlene asked, why do, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to substitute they with white men, feel that they have to put a knee on anyone's neck? And I don't expect you, Mark, to like speak for white manhood and, and answer that question, but I think it's an important one, this question of like, what is it that's really going on? Yeah. Um, one other thought on, on the previous question, I think uh, hierarchy, uh, no, Nick, you know, forgetting that um, if we take Jesus seriously, those at the top of the hierarchy must serve those at, at, who are at the bottom. And so a whole different understanding of, of power is at play than, than the way that, you know, honestly, churches have typically been organized. And so I, I think that's another key piece. Um, and then the question around how, about how, why, or why do white people, well, I think we, we project onto the other all those things that we don't want to see about ourselves. I mean, it's, it's classics, you know, you see it in the scapegoat stories in the Old Testament. It's easier for us to put it out there and then to destroy it out there than it is to actually, you know, come to terms with it within our own soul. Um, so that's why we do it. Uh, and that's how, that's how we can do evil in the name of God. We actually think we're doing a service in some sick way to, uh, you know, but what we're really doing is we're running from our, our own shadow. We're running from our own work. And, and, and so anybody who does that, uh, the only way through that, the only way to make another choice is to be uh, to get in touch with whatever that is—the rage that would lead, or the pain that would, you know, would lead someone to 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 do that. Um, and and that person needs, you know, you can't we can't do that by ourselves. We need a community to help us um, to be transformed through our pain, so that we can make a you know a a, a healthier choice. You know, if we don't. Uh, if we don't do that work, we end up just bringing hurt wherever we go. And that just obviously gets magnified when it leads to somebody doing, you know, what Derek Chauvin did. So Mark, there was, um, I'm gonna jump in with a question I saw. Um, there's so much stuff that's good here that we could just go to town with. And perhaps we will go to town. Uh, you and I, and who knows, we may put a Facebook Live on it or something. Um, I saw a question, is there such thing as a faith, is that Facebook? Is there such thing as a religious left? And I thought that was an intriguing question because it has, it has some stuff with it. Um, what, what's your thought just as a reaction to that question? Absolutely, yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's a, there's a, a religious right and there's a religious left. And honestly, I get frustrated with both. Personally, I get a little more frustrated with the left sometimes, but, um, you know, but I do, absolutely, yeah. And again, I think, again, the either or thinking, which gets, um, you know, gets played out for all of us and we get into our little uh, echo chambers and we think we're, you know, we're saved because we're in the right echo chamber. That's the part of the problem, you know, and, and religion at its best has taught uh, a way of paradox of holding differing ideas. You know, Jesus fully human, fully divine. You and I at once, saint and sinner. Uh, God, a God of judgment and mercy. And, and so I, I get frustrated 
with, uh, you know, both sides of the political spectrum, because I think we get locked into our agendas, which in the end become more important than the work of restoration and reconciliation and working with people who may differ on us, differ with us on certain issues, but with whom we need to make the kind of system, systemic change that I think we, we are longing for. So in looking, looking at the agenda of redemption and of restoration, um, you know, you, you said, and it's true, that we, we understand by looking back and we live looking forward. Uh, looking forward now, um, because it's one of, the, it, one of the things that I ask myself, you know, what's next? It's the reason we're all gathered here. It's, yeah. it's, it's what's next. What, what, what does tomorrow look like? And I don't mean that in a highfalutin, now is the whooping part of our sermon uh, part. Right. I mean, in a real, a real way, what does our next look like um, as a society? Because that question also speaks to what we see our society is now. So in the near term, I hate to put a time on it, but in six months, in six months, there's a movement going on right now. I hate to put a time, but I did. You know, what, what do, who, who are we? What do we look like? And how do we affect that transformation to what we want to be in six months? Because I, I say we want to be because we are people who live in hope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, to quote Jeannie from the beginning, we got to do more than book clubs. Uh, although I think some of that, you know, some of that impulse is, is, is healthy and good. Um, I, I think, I think white congregations, white people have to do uh, some real work digging into uh, the issues of privilege and understanding uh, that as a, as a, you know, just as a, as a, as a reality. Uh, and so, so there's some work that we can do there. Um, I, I think we have to, uh, we have to do a better job listening to what's, you know, what people are saying about their experience. I mean, let's just talk about our country for right now. I mean, I think what happened with COVID-19, two things happened. I think we had a situation where um, more people who hadn't been as uncomfortable got uncomfortable and they're like, holy cow, we are living close to the edge, more of us than we realize. And we've heard people, I mean, you heard people talk about this on political stump speeches, but like there was a lived experience of that. And at the same time, there was a forced Sabbath where we really did slow down and we got back to like what really matters and and, and so i think i think so that, so i think we have to look at privilege we have to acknowledge that that uh that that, that, that there, there there is we all have power uh it's you know we all have you know shared power on the one hand but there are people who have more opportunity and, and a position or whatever i think people like myself need to use that uh more assertively than we have uh, and I think we just have to, ha we really do have to cross, um, you know, these, I, I mean, I feel like the future of the church is to have, I'll just use, because I think church a lot of ways, we have to have porous boundaries. We have to, we have to realize that there are, you know, we have to work with, with organizations and people who have a similar set of values. We may disagree on a number of things, but there's so much we can agree on. So we have to create spaces where we can have conversations. And then we have to identify, I mean, I love the fact, as I was listening to your, your talk last week, Mac, you talked about this moment, we have almost like all these cells, but they're operating with almost one mind and it's in concert with each other, which is amazing. On the other hand, I think for there to be sustained change, there's gonna to need to be some leadership emerging from that. And so maybe part of our job is to identify who those leaders are, support them. I think in terms of 
you know, allocation of resources. We have to invest in, in organizations and initiatives that we believe are making a positive impact on the issues, you know, of this time. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that we can do and the church ought to be at the table for those conversations, right? Um, yeah, and, and, you know, absolutely, yeah. Is that so let, let me jump in before we were out of time. Um, what do you think about violence um, in the marches and what do you think about the looters? Oh, you know, I, I somebody's, I, I was reading somewhere. Well, I was thinking of it in terms of Jesus and Malchus. You know, the story where, you know, Peter, um, no, Peter and Jesus. So Jesus is, is arrested, you know, you know, the, the consummate love, you know, incarnated, right? The, the guy who's, you know, got the best intentions at heart. He gets arrested by the soldiers and Peter goes and he's so angry and he cuts off uh, the servant Malchus's ear. So we can look at that in two ways. We could say, man, wasn't that horrible that Peter cut off Malchus's ear? And that was kind of sad about Jesus being, you know, uh, arrested. And that's kind of what, like, I see so many people in society doing. It's like, we're making a big deal about the looter, where we really should make a big deal about, you know, Jesus got arrested. Yeah, that was a shame that Peter, you know, took out the sword and cut off Malchus's ear. And, and, and so I think any change is, and I've had this e email and conversations with a number of our members, is, is messy. And we, you know, we expect these, this is, this is part of the deal. I mean, how many of us have been transformed in any significant way when there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, of, of, of things attached, conversations, things that we said that we shouldn't have, things that we did. I mean, it's just, it's just part of it. And now that we know this, you know, on a family personal level, as a society, of course, this is going to happen. And we ought not to give it the power that it doesn't deserve. Violence is wrong. I mean, there's nobody saying that violence isn't wrong. But what's also wrong is that when we, we're not served, like I'll just take a, like a police officer, the example, you know, that, uh, you know, police officers obviously have to uh, maintain some law and order and, and be able to, you know, to uh, protect and to serve. But they also have to be connected to the community. And, and, and so we can't forget that other piece. And, and, and so, again, that's part of that place in which we, we have an argument about looting and we miss the real conversation that needs to happen. That's right. And we're so skilled at that. That's good. And we got to stop it. That's good. It doesn't serve anybody well. And, and, and so I think that, I mean, so much is coming to the light for so many. And I think that's one of the things. I mean, we got to do better. Yeah. This, is a, this is a tool of those who want to maintain the status quo of keeping things just as they are. And that's not good enough. I love it. You know, unless, you're, unless your lighting is wrong, I think you're red. That means you're worked up and I love it. Uh, that means we've got, we've got you provoked and hopefully we've provoked the people who are watching as well uh, with some of the things that we said. We can't answer every question, but we can make you think and if you think, and if there are questions which emerge from this conversation, then that's all, that's what we've done our job. And that's what we want to continue to do. Um, uh, Mark, you have uh, passed with flying colors. <laughs> I mean, you've done a wonderful job in elucidating uh, some thoughts. Um, and I was wondering about, uh, you know, some of the things, uh, what you would say. And I appreciate it. I appreciate some of the uh, theological references. I think that uh, the Peter analogy is, was perfect. Um, you know, some people would sabotage the conversation 
with, uh, with uh, talk of looters or the violence, which is a absolute genuine and reasonable conversation, but the eyes of the prize should stay on uh, the angst which has fueled it. And, uh, and I, I just appreciate you. Uh, and so at some point we need to go and have a coffee uh, or a tea and continue this uh, conversation. Uh, Sarah, if, if there's anything else, then you can ask. Otherwise, uh, there's uh, lots more, but it depends on your your capacity yeah. to keep going, guys. Well, I just want to say that you know I do a Zoom on Wednesday, and now it's going to be eight thirty for all the people who all sleep early. <laughs> so it's eight thirty. No, no, no. Do what you do. Give <laughs> a Mac. <laughs> and uh, so at 8.30, if you go on my Facebook page, Mac Brandon Facebook, uh, I'll have where you can uh, uh, sign on to Zoom. And, and it's an opportunity for all the people who are listening today th that they can talk. They can say, you know, as well as we can, the things that are on their mind. Uh, and I think that Mark, uh, Reverend Mark Oler of the Westside Presbyterian Church um, is, um, is, is a wonderful and relevant theologian and preacher. Um, and I think that if you have an opportunity, uh, you know, it's well worth your while to come to go and visit him. Uh, if you are so led at some point, you come and visit me too, uh, because I think that uh, we're going to be uh, certainly in fellowship. And I certainly thank you, uh, uh, Mark. Uh, you were all that I envisioned you to be, and I... Um, I, I, I want you to be blessed in all that you are. Um, you know, there was a letter that I wrote to the clergy. I wasn't intending it to be anything. I just spoke my heart and you responded immediately um, and saying that you want to be a better pastor um, and, and you already are a good one. And that's all I, I want to see from anyone is for us to be better right? Us to be better people, us to be better educators, better principals, better superintendents of schools, better CEOs, better whatever we are. You know, that is what we owe ourselves and that is what we owe the divine. Um, and, and I appreciate that spirit which lives in you. So thank you very much. Thanks, Mac. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. I want to thank everybody, of course, for, I'll show up. Why not? Why don't I show up here? Um, yeah, this was this was really big. Thank you guys so much. Um, I loved, you know, hearing your hearts. Um, Mac, I, you know, there are a few comments in the chat room about what tangible things can we do? I mean, I think there was one. Let's see if I can find it here. Um, I don't know. I can't can't look now, but we'll we'll follow up next week with some of these questions. But you know, so, you know, the article that I read in the Washington Post says, you know, all that, you know, all we do is read and have these discussion groups. And as a matter of fact, right in the article, it says they have discussions called let's talk about race. I was like, oh, my gosh. And, and it was kind of like, well, geez. And, and they're wonderful. To be doing, I want to help. I want to do, you know. So the answer is that discussions like let's talk about race and reading is great. And what it does is it informs you and it edifies you. And then you go out and live your informed life. So mm -hmm. the part A is to edify yourself. But part B is now informed, I might see the world in a different way. The person who I passed and who was invisible 
simply because all my life that person was invisible. Now I have a history and a backdrop and an understanding and I might address that person or at least see that person or at least be inquisitive as to who that person is and what is the life that they live. And it's not just a black and African-American, it could be anyone. Mm -hmm. I had a discussion with someone who was South, uh, South Asian. Um, you know, there's a whole uh, community there, right? There, there can be, uh, you know, any number of peoples but the more informed we are, let's never poo-poo that. The more informed we are, the better. But then we take that edification, we take that knowledge, and we live our lives. And so you're to be commended because let's talk about race is a perfect start for us. Thank you. You know, can you just um, go back to what you said in the beginning of this conversation? You said sometimes when you're around people, you just kind of cringe and you just wait for it. You wait for that that remark or that, that slight. Help me understand what you meant by that. Uh, what don't do I remember mean what you um, Well, I meant that that's what I feel. Uh, that's but, what I see. Huh? Yeah, and so can you give me examples of some things? I think I gave an example last week that, um, you, you know, there, there is a perception and you can, you know how people, you know, if you go into, uh, if you go into a, a place where there, let's say there's a party, and uh, and Jeannie, you're you're a pretty person, you're you're a pretty individual, and you walk into the party, um, there are going to be people who just on the face of you, they're going to say, oh hi, you know, love your hair, yeah. They're going to be people who are haters and don't like you, and you're going to feel the chilliness of that, right, when you're in their midst, right. Now they may say, oh no, never. You know, we love you, but you know when you're you're not loved, right? That's real. That's that's something. Ask any child or ask any dog mm -hmm. that barks at you, doesn't like mm -hmm. you because they know you don't like dogs. It's right? that energy you can feel it. That energy, right? But there's also tangible things. You know, um, you, you know when you and I understand. Don't get me wrong, but I will never. I always keep distance away from cars. Let's say I'm walking from my car into Whole Foods. Well, I consciously always stay away. This is before COVID-19. I always keep a safe distance because I don't want the insult of the car door being locked, which is always, right? So someone looks out the side and locks, and I understand, don't get me wrong, right? But I understand it. Or the, 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 the example that I said, when someone comes around a corner and sees me and says, you scared me. Right? And then of course they end in a laugh. But am I that scary that I scare people typically once every two weeks in the supermarket? Right? Oh, you scared me. You begin to understand that you are, you know, on some level feared and not understood. I mean, mm -hmm. those are very small things. Anyone who is any other who is listening has stories of being mm -hmm. the other. Anyone who's African-American has stories of being the other that they live their life. And here's the thing, we are all whole individuals. If you are a classroom, an elementary school, I would say repeat after me class, you are all whole individuals. If we believe mm -hmm. that people are whole in their humanity, then if there is any slight to them, it is not the, the issue of that person who is slighted. It is the issue of the person who is slighting, right? So, you know, 
we experience, when people talk about experience every day, I think sometimes people on the other side think it's hyperbole when they talk about, you know, my whole life I live in fear of the police. And say, how can you, how, how can you live in fear of the police? Well, come on and hang out with me. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Come on and hang out with me and I will show you. And it is not until we educate ourselves, however we do, by conversation, by reading, by looking at the documentaries, you know, 13 or any of these documentaries, that we begin to ask ourselves and chip away at the shellac covering that says it can't be true. We ship, mm -hmm. chip away at it and say, could it be true? What the, is, it, is it possible that he is not speaking, it's not a hyperbolic statement. Is it possible? No, you really, people don't say you scare me. Yes, they actually do, right? But until you begin to say, wait a minute, let me be uncomfortable and begin to understand mm -hmm. that world. Then we begin to embrace each other's humanity. Mm -hmm. Finally, you know, I live with such joy. Mm -hmm. I live with a joy of humanity through all of that because I am a full and complete human. Mm -hmm. And so I don't live, you know, I don't live in a state of, of, of uh, woe is me, I'm the victim. I see people in their ignorance um, do, uh, uh, committing oppressive acts, and those acts can be, um, can be subtle. But that does not spoil my joy, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Because my joy is a divine and whole joy, right? So sometimes we have to get that confused. Now, when, when it gets really critical is when we see people who are always angry. Right? Mm -hmm. And so there's this piece of righteous anger, and then there's that piece of fleshly anger, right? Righteous anger says wrong is wrong, and mm -hmm. I rail against the wrong, right? But there's some people who have been injured and they are angry. And so we're going to have to give space to all parties in this question. There are people on every area, and I was, I was trying to push. Uh, Reverend Oler. I was trying to I'll push him and he, he answered and responded with a plum. I mean, he was, he was wonderful because he was willing to let us into him and at the same time uh, being a, 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 a leader uh, of faith. Um, but we have to continue to push and pull to, to exercise our, the, the elasticity of our will and our, and our ideations and the thoughts and suppositions and assumptions that we have about what life is in America, what life is in Ridgewood, what life is vis-a-vis -vis the question of race. We have this, this, this cast, we have this, this mountain of, of decisions that we have made about what is, you know, it's a factor, what is the, the, the fact of our lives, but the fact of the matter is that it's only one lens that we live through. And our whole journey as li in, in living this life is to uncover new truths. That's what the mm -hmm. prayer life is about. That's what the, that's mm -hmm. what the journey is. You know, uh, Mark was talking about the, the theological journey, right? We talk about moving in the imago day, in the image of Christ, mm -hmm. right? You want to continue to uncover that stuff, which are assumptions, and move toward that which embraces the wholeness of humanity and the wholeness of the divine, right? Mm -hmm. So we just have to keep making ourselves uncomfortable. Does that oh, make sense? Let me just say, oh, completely. I, I just have to say, I am so uncomfortable. Um, I, I, I get, I mean, this has been a wonderful experience for me, and I cannot thank you enough for saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. And same with you, Mark and Sarah. Thank you so much for being on board with this. But I'll tell you, I'm, I'm in, I am so stressed because I, this is so important, but I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to say anything wrong. I don't want to do it. I, I want to bring us all together. I want 
some sort of roadmap. I want, I want to know, you know. Keep doing what you're doing. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, you're on the right road, right? Because when we, when we want to move toward the new, there is that moment and it's a nebulous, it's, a, it's ambiguous. What, what mm. does that mean? What should I do? But the fact that your spirit is willing to move toward that of understanding is so hopeful because you said you read an article. That's good. And now you kind of let that article percolate in you and you will begin to act on it. You have a new understanding, right? And so you're going to the right place and hopefully we all go to that same place together yes well thank you so much once again um i i I'll, we can kind of wrap this up tonight do you want to um tell everyone who's going to be joining us next week uh, we have yeah you tell them well we have arturo lewis coming oh, um, Reverend huh? arturo lewis is oh did you forget <laughs> <laughs> well i didn't know what the status was right oh yeah well arturo just had hip replacement surgery so right. god willing he yeah. will be joining us next right. week. And so he's an African-American uh, uh, minister. And so he's going to, you know, uh, you know. He's, and professor. Yeah, and right. And so he's right. going to, I'm, I'm surely sure uh, that he will, uh, in a professorial uh, way, uh, speak about some of the issues that we're talking yes. about. Yes. He so told me that he them. wants to talk about uh, systemic racism, institutional right racism, you know, right. and how we can sort of dismantle some of that. So he'll be giving us some tangible ideas right. about ways that we can help. Right. And then in two weeks, we have the Reverend Sarah Lindsay. I can't wait for that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, Lindsay rocks. So uh, we are looking forward to that. And um, it's, it's a good thing. So I'm very, very pleased. Thank you so much, Reverend Oler. You are a gem in, uh, in Ridgewood. And uh, may you continue, your work continue to be blessed in all that you do. Yeah, thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, um, Mac. And thank you, everyone, for um, tuning in again tomorrow, uh, next Monday, same, same time, same place, uh, for an even deeper discussion. Um, and if for some reason you missed the entirety of this uh, broadcast, it will be posted up on Ridgewood Talks on iTunes, and you can also find it on the Ridgewood Walks website. So we're gonna be posting all of the things that Mark mentioned and some other little goodies too. So, you know, just keep watching um, the Facebook page uh, for all of that. So once again, everybody, thank you. And I look forward to seeing you again next week. Take care. <laughs>